0: Amen. I want to uh, start by, uh, first of all, just thanking, kind of reaching back to Monday night, and thanking Greg for <coughs> bringing us the Word. Um, if you were there, I'm sure you were blessed. I'm thankful that um, for multiple things, I want to list a few of those. As it concerns Greg and teaching of the Word, I'm thankful that uh, all I had to do was Give him a passage and uh, ask him to preach it. Uh, all it did was, honestly, was critique one point of his rough draft and told him to watch his time. Uh, <laughs> I think my words were specifically if you're planning to read this, I, uh, this is your basically everything you're going to say with no additions. You will probably be fine, seeing as how he had about 1,500 more words than I typically have in my script. Um, but uh, I enjoy, by God's grace, giving parts of my job away. Job I have in quotes. Um, and I wanted to say, I, and, and it's encouraging to you, you guys. I, I want. It's not just a time of encouraging, Greg. But I want to say this. I want to say that. I want to encourage you guys to understand what good exposition looks like, and the pastoral applying of it. Um, I think those are important for us to note. And the last thing I will say is this. I was well-served, and anyone who was walking in the Spirit would have been well-served, too. So thank you, brother. Now today, I intend to wrap up this passage, uh, really, that Greg began on Monday night. Uh, This passage on bond servants and masters, before we take a break for a Christmas series Title to be determined, but something like uh, if you've been here long enough, we like to usually take a break for Christmas. We usually do something Christ-related, obviously, and something usually doctrinal-related uh, as it as it pertains to Christ. So, with that said, we uh, I like this title, but it might get changed if Rusty can't find a graphic and such to fit this title. Uh, so uh, the the Latin phrase is imitatio Christe, which has the idea of the uh, imitating Christ, mimicking Christ, and kind of my un, uh, uh, finalized subtitle being Jesus, a prototype of the dependent spirit filled life, uh, and so that's the. Uh, unedited uh, sermon title and series title, you know, until it goes through the production phase and it kind of gets changed into something a little less nerdy, but uh, <laughs> for something more graphic friendly, you know, so I, and I'm very much okay with that, uh, so I'm excited to work through that, if, how Jesus depended on the divine resources of the Father. Uh, I don't want to explore that for about four weeks. Uh, It'll be really a look at his humanity, but then particularly how he depended on the Spirit and the Father to persevere. So, with that said, today I plan to not only wrap up the bond servants and master's passage here. If you noticed, on Monday night, Greg did not preach verse 9. Um, but I also plan to wrap up the entire section and series that we have been in now for a number of weeks. Not the book of Ephesians, just the household table, okay? Just the this five, uh, really, verse 21 to six, verse nine. I want to kind of wrap all that together, but then I'll also what I want to do is help set this passage in the context of all of Ephesians. And what I want to do is just kind of, I'm not going to do this the whole time, but I want to kind of take a string and kind of thread it from the beginning of Ephesians and to this point. But as I do this, I I want to say that Rusty and I have been praying for this season of our church's life, um, particularly since January. Um, as God kind of laid this on our hearts, we knew where we were going to be in Ephesians. That's one of the reasons why we chose Ephesians, was for the season that we are concluding right now. Uh, it was one of the top reasons why we chose to go to Ephesians. But you know, as we thought back in January, one of the reasons why we've been praying so hard is because by God's grace and discernment, particularly through the Scriptures we knew, and even warned you all, church, that this was going to be a tough season. And indeed, it has been. Anytime we press into Satan's pet projects, like God's good authority, and particularly authority in the home, we know that spiritual warfare will be lurking around every corner. We know it. But here's what we've discovered, and are continuing to discover, is that His grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for our calling, not just as elders, but as a church, to be firm, steadfast, and steady on his foundation. This has been a hard topic, and it will continue to be a hard topic. As you, like, all we've done over the past couple months is just lay a foundation. For some of you, that means giving you the foundation for the first time. For others of you, it's, it's rebuilding the foundation. It's correcting some of the foundation that's been laid uh, that is wrong. But this is not a topic that we just leave behind. It's not just one to put in the closet. It's one that you will either enjoy the fruits of in the days ahead, or you will curl up in bitterness in the days ahead. That's the two courses you can choose. Paul says, as he begins to press in even further, I will reread for us what Greg preached, and then we will set in verse 9 for today. He says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. And then verse nine it says, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. I just pray for your spirit to be at work this morning, as I believe it already has been. I pray that any words that are simply mine would be burned away, and that your word would imprint itself on our hearts forever. Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And Paul is brief here. In verse 9, you might think, well, why? he dealt with all this with the bondservants, and why does he say, why is he so short with the masters? I think Paul is brief here because he intends to tell the masters, really, the exact same thing that he told the slaves. This, do, do the same. Do the same to them. What I want to point out, so I don't want to rehash, I'm not going to spend time rehashing everything Greg did about bondservants on Monday to now the masters, although we'll talk through some of it. But to start out, I want to point out that what Paul tells the masters here is really outrageous, particularly for their context. More on that in a bit, but however outrageous it may be, we have to be careful that we don't make this verse mean any more than what it means or any less than what it means. The same is true of every passage, certainly, and certainly this one. And then we're going to take, as I said, all of this and kind of set it in the greater context of Ephesians. But here's what we hear, verse 9, Paul starts by telling masters this, that you must exercise your authority for the good of those under you. You must exercise your authority for the good of those under you under you. That's kind of the, the general thought here from Paul. Certainly there is this, this unto Christ idea, and I'm not going to concentrate as much on that as an ultimate submission and, and motivation, but Paul is certainly saying that those in authority, you should exercise it for the good of those under you, just as those In slavery, or those in servitude, should exercise their servanthood for the good of their master. What does this look like? So what does this look like? I want to encourage you, I think this has application. Like there's some normatives that are, uh, normative standards, if you will, that are presented here that are good for those in authority in any situation. Just because he doesn't say... Uh, masters, you know, just because he doesn't give other examples doesn't mean that the the idea of doing this unto the Lord and submitting unto the Lord and for the good doesn't mean it doesn't have application, say, for uh, a mom who is in authority over her children. There is certainly application there as well. But let's ask the question, what does this look like? And it should be able to go without saying that the Scriptures certainly define what is good. So let's talk about that for a few moments. The first thing of what this good looks like to those, and how you do good for those who are under you, is that you treat them with respect, humility, gentleness, and in your notes, if it made it through, you know, editing, I think I have an et cetera on there. Is it still on there? Okay, good. Treat them with respect, humility, gentleness. Verse 9 it says, Masters, do the same to them. Paul, here's what Paul's doing Paul's underscoring the reciprocal nature of the relationship. What I mean by that is he is saying that the way they're to treat each other is the same. Now, we're going to nuance this, okay, because we really need to, if we're going to understand this rightly. Let me tell you what this does not mean, okay, so that we're, we're careful to get at what it actually means. This doesn't, Paul is not speaking to anything regarding the flattening of the authority structure. Paul is not talking about Anything that would undermine authority in these relationships. Now, there's a small caveat to that. We'll get to later. But for now, the relationship aspect, the the nature of the relationship is reciprocal. But the relationship, as one commentator said, is not symmetrical. Meaning the relationship roles are not the same. They're not symmetrical. They're not doing the same thing. They have different roles. But the way they relate to each other is similar. The way they, the attitude if you will, and the way they relate is what he's talking about. So it's not that there is no longer authority in this situation. It's not that what the boss says goes out the window This would be an example, I think, of making the text say more than what it says. But instead, this has everything to do with the way a boss treats his employee. And for further application, for those who are in authority, this has to do with how you treat the the nature and the style and the, and the, uh, the mode of how you treat them. You see, they were to treat their slaves... As they were to treat Christ with integrity, respect, humility, and gentleness. Now, let me speak to you, to those in authority, which really, other than um, you kiddos, this is to everyone else in here, because you all have somewhere and some place in which you exercise authority, I want you to encourage you that you should understand that you could be treating your employees the right way. But because of a multitude of reasons, whether sin or misunderstanding or wrongful speculation, they may still not like it. But what Paul says here is that you continue treating them as the image bearers that they are with humility and gentleness, with kindness and respect. So this has everything to do with not the, we're not changing roles. Paul's not changing roles. I do think he's undercutting slavery here. Another, that's later. But he's not changing the authority structure. He's not changing their roles. He's changing the way they interact, the way they treat each other. He presses in a little bit further. He says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. So treat them without any form of manipulative hostility. Treat them without any form of manipulative hostility. So let's talk about this for a second. Christian masters were to be different than other masters. Paul clearly here commands them to not even threaten violence. To not threaten it. You see, this was the primary means. If you study some cultural, some history here, this was the primary means of slave control in ancient times. This idea of beating them and and such. This is what Paul's concerned about here. Slaves were regularly beaten with the whip in Roman society. Listen, slaves could and regularly did receive from their masters the venting of their anger via various forms of physical abuse. So the master was just mad for whatever reason, whether it related to the slave or not. And he could simply unleash his energy on his slave. And Paul's telling them not only you're not allowed to do that, but you're not even allowed to threaten that. All forms of violence, and not even the threatening of it, is okay. And I think with this command, this is where I think Paul is cutting the thread that was holding the institution of slavery together. A pastor, Brian Chapel said this, with inspired wisdom, listen to this, the apostle enables the gospel to progress in a society that approves slavery while planting seeds for its destruction. I want you to see Paul's priority here. Paul's priority is the heart of the people involved. But he's also planting these seeds for its destruction. What will its destruction be? It will ultimately be the change of hearts of those people involved on both sides. But he was telling the masters, back to this point here, he was telling the masters to give up their threat of violence. That They were not allowed to do this. They were not allowed to to manipulate them by hostile means. They were not allowed to use them for their own advantage. Now let me address a misconception here. One commentator, Peter O'Brien, I'm going to quote him again a little bit later, says this. An outcome of this right attitude and actions will be that masters will abandon the use of threats against their slaves. This is not to suggest that slaves could not be warned of punishment if they did wrong. We have to be careful here. See, we feel like anything that might oppose us is wrong. You see, a boss's proclamation, so those in authority, a proclamation of consequences for decisions made is not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about, hey, if you do this wrong, this is going to be the consequence. The reality is that it just doesn't feel good. You see, what we really want in this world for those of us under authority, which is everyone here, is we want to make whatever decisions we desire to make, and we want to make them without consequence. We don't want to be reminded of the consequences. But Paul's not talking about that. Paul's not saying, masters, those in authority, he's not saying, don't warn of consequences. The issue here, I think, is largely retribution. It's the master for his own selfishness enacting harmful threats on those subordinate to him. For his own means, his own purpose, his own, because what's he supposed to do, right? What's Paul, what's the positive, right? If, if we don't understand what's he mean by don't threaten them, what's, it, what's Paul concerned about, we can look at the other half and go, what's he telling him to do? He says, do the same, which we talked about, is what? Treating them with dignity, humility, respect. None of that is treating them for selfish gain, So, just as the slaves were instructed to show respect, sincerity of heart, and goodwill, now masters are urged to treat them in a similar manner. So, let me encourage you those in authority, whether that be mom, dad, boss, don't shy away from warning of consequences or even the administering of consequences. Don't shy away that just because of the response of those under your authority. Because you are accountable to a greater authority than both of you. However, you have no right to threaten harm to them for the sake of yourself, for revenge, for retribution. Instead, Paul is telling you to exercise your authority for the good of others because Christ is the master of all. He's the master. You go, okay, yeah, I get it. He's the master of all. We should obey him. No, no. there's actually implications for the relationship, which Paul is saying, like the relational aspects here that are, that are impacted because Christ is master of all. So that's what we're going to explore very briefly. That's really the key here. Your authority, wherever you're at, your authority should be exercised for their good, as we talked about before. This is, after all, God's authoritative care. God intends to care for all of us through His authoritative structures. So kind of the first sub-point, if you will, is you should live with Christ-centered accountability. Christ-centered accountability in your authority. A lot of times the elders are asked, "Well, who are you accountable to?" In Hebrews 13:17, he says, "They will give an account and it'll be to God." You see, masters live with Christ-centered accountability. Here's what Paul's saying. The both of you, the one in authority, the one under, the master and the slave, that you're both under the authority of Jesus Christ. The problem is that we're always looking to remove ourselves from accountability. At every turn. We want to move and remove ourselves. But what he's saying is, God is sovereign and Lord over both. Go read Proverbs 22, 2, 29, 13, 15, verse 3. I'll say it again. 22, 2, 29, 13, 15, verse 3. God is sovereign and Lord over both. This is sobering to believe and live in light of. He's saying Christian masters, here's what he's saying. You who are in authority, you are slaves too." And so the both are indeed fellow slaves of the same Lord. He says that basically that masters too will render an account on the final day to this heavenly Lord for all that they have done or not done. So live with Christ-centered accountability. Second, God's justice shows no partiality. God's justice shows no partiality. He says this and that there is no partiality with Him. Here's here's part here's kind of the big implication, if you will, is that the all of these principles shorten the distance between the slave and the master. The relational distance between those in authority and those under. It doesn't remove the authority, but it shortens the distance. You see, the higher social status that masters have will give them no advantage whatsoever before the throne of God. God cannot be influenced by appearances. No special deals can be made with him. Listen, this should be great encouragement for those who spend much of their life in positions like particularly like via work and such where you're in authority under someone else. Particularly if that person's not a follower of Jesus. The fact is is that God is still their master. Whether they are living as a slave to him or not. And so his higher social status in the workplace will not earn him any favor with God, any partiality with God. So, who can you trust at your workplace when you're being mistreated by your boss? God. I'm not saying that there's never a time that you should leave. I'm saying, where's your hope at in the midst? That's the issue. Because if your hope is just in removing your boss, you're going to find the same reminder that you placed your hope in the wrong thing in whatever situation you find yourself in next. Because God is kind and gracious to do such. You see what Paul is saying with this no partiality statement is that we are all united with one another In our rebellion against God. Look back to Ephesians 2. Whether you're redeemed or not, we're all united because of our rebellion against God. And we're also united in the opportunity to become newly created human beings through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, back to Ephesians chapter 2. So, this passage should change the way we relate to people, the way we think about authority, the way we think about our bosses, the way we think about submission in our roles, the way we think about exercising authority. You see, our culture confuses authority and anything related to it, such as value, all the time. Our culture subtly tells us that there is a hierarchy of value among individuals, and it tells us that where we fit in this value system... It tells us that if we don't have power, then we are empty and useless. Or, You see, this text do- destroys that concept. It destroys this concept. It tells us that there are indeed different roles. But in no way do these roles define one's value. You see, the driving principle for those in authority is that they must use their authority for the good of those under them as unto Christ. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a step back for just a moment, okay? If I was a normal preacher, that would probably be like the end of that uh, section. But I want to step back because what we need to do is we need to set this in the context of all of Ephesians. And what I want to do for the last remaining time we have is kind of tie all this together all the way back to chapter 1 in the first few verses. So let me ask you a few questions. Is Paul simply telling us to submit to our master's leaders in a way that honors Jesus out of right worship of our Savior? I mean, that's, that's what Greg basically preached on Monday night. Agree? Absolutely. Is Paul saying that? Yes, But is that all Paul's saying? No. Now, now, listen, Greg was just preaching this passage. Right now, what I'm doing is I'm setting this passage in the greater context. Okay? So is he telling us that? Yes. But is that all he's telling us? Is he simply telling us to treat our subordinates in a way that honors Jesus out of right worship for our Savior? He is saying that. But is that all he's saying? And here's the question. Is this just something we're to make happen? Do we just kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and and submit till we're blue in the face? No, this is part of a much bigger picture. I want to walk you back through some of Ephesians. I want to this this verse struck, or this quote struck me from Doctor O'Brien. He said this. He said in the earlier sections of the household table. Right, so he's talking about this, all of this authority and relational stuff that we've been talking about. In the earlier sections of the household table, which calls for submission by believers within divinely ordered relationships, he says, is evidence of their being filled by God's Spirit and evidence of them walking in... Wisdom. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk a few verses back and eventually we're going to land in a few minutes at the beginning of chapter 1. But for now, submission by believers. Also, right now I'm referring to all of this section. All by believers within divinely ordered relationships is the fruit of God's salvific work in bringing about our faithfulness. So I want to walk this back. So you're going to have to hang with me and kind of help me uh, try and tie the string around this entire thing. So if you go back with me just a little bit, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to. Chapter 4, verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 17 kind of begins this new talking of what does it look like to walk in light of chapters 1, 2, and 3. What does this look like? So he's saying that all of these great gospel truths have profound implications and applications for your life. What does this look like? So he begins this journey of what it means to live in light of chapters 1, 2, and 3. What it means for those who by faith believe God's electing, regenerating, and securing work if I could summarize chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then, by the time we get to the middle of chapter 5, after talking a whole lot about what this looks like, now Paul begins to talk about how this belief, chapters 1, 2, and 3, will look in the context of divinely ordered relationships. And he begins that in verse 21 of chapter 5, where he says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, just, I I don't have time to jump into all this, but we talked about how this is kind of like a, a summary statement. He's not just saying, Okay, you all need to submit to each other. What he's saying is, You all need to submit to each other, and then here's what it looks like for each of you to submit. It looks different for each person following. But he begins this talk of submitting in divinely ordered relationships. So what are the divinely ordered relationships? I just want to summarize these very quickly. The examples are husbands and wives. Parents and children. Bosses and employees. As Greg brought out on Monday night, the body of Christ and its elders. Government and citizens. These are all areas, whether directly addressed here or elsewhere in Scripture, of God's divinely ordered relationships. And we are called to submit in some fashion and to some authority out of reverence and in the care of Jesus. Out of reverence for and in the care of Christ. Now, if you read just a bit earlier in this passage, you realize that the relational pictures he is painting is then evidence of something else. I want you to look at me before you look at the, the point there. Look at verse 15 of chapter 5. Rather, speaking, that's not the right one. Yeah, there we go. Chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So Paul, So, so here, here's, here's what I want you to see. In verse 21, he talks about the submitting to one another out of reverence. Just a few verses before that, he is saying that look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then he's going to talk about what that looks like. So the first point I would encourage you with today as we kind of tie the string back to the beginning is that submission within divinely ordered relationships is evidence of walking in wisdom. It's evidence of walking in wisdom. Verse 15, again, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And again, and then what follows is what that looks like. So let me give a few comments here. Someone who is relating well, submitting well, exercising authority with well within submission to greater authority. It's someone who is, according to Paul, if you don't like this, it's right there. It's someone who is looking carefully at their walk. Someone who's relating well, submitting well, exercising authority within submission to greater authority well. This is someone who's looking carefully at their walk. This is someone who is walking in wisdom. This is a person who understands God's gracious, authoritative care being given to them through his sovereignly placed authorities. This is a person who knows they are needy and in desperate need of God's protection. This is a person who knows that pride-driven autonomy leads ultimately to separation from God. This is a wise person. Not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. You see, to the world, this doesn't make sense. So let me encourage you, as you look around, as you see people who are Submitting well and relating well. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Let your perseverance be strengthened. You see someone who's relating well to a boss that's not the greatest. Maybe their leadership is terrible. Maybe they're a jerk. And you see them striving to submit. And and you see them not bashing on their boss and not speaking negatively and critiquing everything that they do. And you see them praying for them and asking for opportunities to share the gospel with their boss. Opportunities to serve him and show him Christ. That's someone who's walking in wisdom. And you should be greatly encouraged by that person. So let me speak to you, particularly since we have younger children in here. Those of you who are younger and still living at home. God intends to care for you through the authority of your parents. Even their imperfect authority. And your obedience is evidence of walking in wisdom. Being wise. So... Submission within these divinely ordered relationships is evidence of walking in wisdom. Second of all, submission within divinely ordered relationships is also evidence of being filled by God's Spirit. Again, three verses later in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be debauchery, whatever it is, There's my funny for the day. But be filled, what's he say? Be filled with the Spirit. Again, be filled with the Spirit. And he's going to talk about what does that look like? That's not just be filled with the Spirit and we can, we can kind of assign whatever attachment and description and adjectives to that that we want to. No, it looks like this. Again, someone who is relating well, submitting well, exercising authority well within submission to greater authority is someone who is, as Paul says here, filled by God's Spirit. This is someone who trusts God and His plan, His sovereignty. This is someone who has the fruit of the Spirit in the realm of these relationships. Galatians 5, 22-23, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, why is this the case? Why would the Spirit of God be connected with submission under the authoritative care of God? Why would that be the case? Because the Spirit knows and trusts and rests within God's divinely ordered relationships. He knows nothing else but that. He's done it for all of eternity. He knows that the only safe place is for him in God's care. So wives, husbands, employees, employers even, what does your submission to Christ in the Scriptures look like? I mean all the Scriptures, not just the ones you like. Is it evidence of a spirit-filled life. You see, submission within these relationships is evidence of at least these two things of Paul. If you look back, I'm not going to go here, but if you look back, even the beginning of chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So Paul is saying, this stuff that follows afterwards, this submission within God's authoritative care is evidence of you imitating God. The last thing I want to leave you with today is not only is it evidence of being filled by the Spirit and walking in wisdom, but it is something even deeper. Your submission within divinely ordered relationships is ultimately birthed from faith in God's authoritative care, specifically His care, over your very salvation. Over your salvation. So what do you mean? What do you mean? You see, your salvation is who's choosing. It's God's. It's God's. Ephesians 1.4 says what? Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, it's not going to be on the screen, but in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to to the purpose of His will. Let me ask you, whose will? Whose will was this? God's. It's God's will. It's God's authority. Who chose? God chose. It's His authority. Do you see His authority here being exercised for your good? for your care? Do you see the realignment of your position that happens here in verse 4 where you go from a rebel to a son? You go from an enemy in another camp to a son of the king in this camp. Do you see that? And who does it? God. You see, this submission within divinely ordered relationships, so hang on to this thought for a second, then this submission within divinely ordered relationships, I want you to see this as well, is pointing toward and will find its perfect presentation in something else. Look at verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, As a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this uniting of all things in Him, right? But what does that uniting of all things in Him look like? If you just jump 11 verses later at chapter 1, verse 21, He says this. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. All right, see the authority conversation coming in here? And above every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. What does that mean? Authority, submission. And he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all and in all. You see... Your submission within God's rightly ordered relationships is a result of God's saving of your soul. And your faithfulness in this submission is but a shadow. It's but a shadow of the day when all things will be properly ordered within God's kingdom. We should not take lightly these things. Because they say something true of what is to come, or they say something false of what is to come. Ultimately, Paul is saying this. You want to submit as unto Christ in whatever role you have from child to master. I'm asking you, as a follower of Jesus, let's imagine for a moment, you genuinely want to do this. Here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I think Paul is building upon here. Here is that it comes down to your faith in God's divine ordering of life and relationships, particularly the relationship of making you a son or daughter. That if you don't hang your hat there, the rest of it will be a struggle beyond your ability in the Spirit. So here's my question. Are you sure, with certainty, as certain as a human can be, of his divine ordering of you as a son and a daughter secured for a future inheritance? Do you rest there? Is that your go to place? Do you by faith believe this to be true? Have you placed your trust and faith in the work of Jesus as the payment for your sin and repented of self-righteous salvation? See, ultimately, hear me with this. Ultimately, you will only fight for gospel-driven submission and authority for that matter to the extent to which you believe by faith in God's divine ordering of life and relationships. And most fundamentally resting in his divine placement of you as a child of the king. So you can submit to that husband that's not leading well. When you rest, that you're a daughter of the king. You see, kids, you can submit to mom and dad even when you don't agree with them. Why? You can do that if you're a daughter or a son of the king. If you trust, so see the connection. God has divinely ordered you as a son or daughter of himself. And that relationship trumps all the other ones. But it's in all the other ones that you live that relationship out. So are you resting, here's my question, are you resting in God's saving work of your life? Because if you are, then you can thrive in whatever submission role you are placed in. You know how I know that? Because what's being implied here is that the slaves could do such as well. Paul didn't say, hey slaves, just look forward to a day when you're away from them, then you can thrive then you can walk in the Spirit. No. You can do it now. You can do it now. Listen, this is how powerful, you've got to hear me, this is how powerful faith in God's electing and saving power is. This is how powerful it is that it could even set a slave free. This is how radical it is to abandon faith in all else and rest in the blood of Jesus, that even a slave could be free. You see, it takes your mind from whatever temporary ills of today and places your eyes on the hope of glory in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're having a hard time living well within God's divinely ordered relationships, I think on the authority of Ephesians, I would encourage you to do this. Ask God to give you faith in His saving work and His divine ordering of you as a child. And maybe the reality is is that you're not. Maybe that's why you have such a hard time grasping that and resting there. Or maybe you are, and you've been blinded from other things. But I would point you back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That He has divinely placed you as a son or daughter under ultimately His authoritative care. And ask Him to help you rest there. So you can rest in God's authoritative care and the means by which He has chosen to exercise it over your life if you live by faith in the gospel work of God in rescuing you and placing you within His authoritative care as a son or daughter of the King. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that what our hearts hear today, what our hearts take away, is that we need your gospel to rescue us. We need your gospel to redeem us. We need your gospel to help us think rightly. We need your gospel to help us rest. Father, this hard topic's not over. It won't be over until your son Jesus comes back for us, and may he not tarry. And if anything, more difficult days may lie ahead. But God, as Thomas needed to see the scars in your hands, Father, give us threads to hold on to that lead us back to you. Give us the grace to see that You are the only way. You are our only hope. Father, that our struggles are not with our spouses, that our, our struggles are not with our children, that our struggles are not with our bosses or anybody in authority over us. And those in authority, it's not with those under us. Father, our issue is ultimately with You. And whether or not we trust You. Help us live by faith, Father, by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand?